You're listening to the Ministry 127 podcast, a complimentary resource for today's spiritual leader. The purpose of Ministry 127 is to aid Christians in developing a biblical philosophy of ministry. Ministry 127 is a growing online library aimed at assisting ministry workers with Bible-based resources and is a ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel, the Lancaster Baptist Church, and West Coast Baptist College. For more information, visit ministry127.com and subscribe to the Ministry 127 podcast for more practical lessons for today's Christian worker. Today's lesson will be rightly dividing the word of truth by Pastor Kurt Skelly. Pastor Skelly serves as the senior pastor of the Heritage Baptist Church in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania, where he has been faithfully preaching the gospel. Now let's hear Pastor Skelly as he teaches how to rightly divide the word of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and look, if you would, at verse 14. The Bible says, of these things, put them in remembrance. So Paul is telling Timothy to instruct some of his fellow teachers. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit. So it's possible to talk and not to profit anybody. Uh, But to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Look at verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. I know we've prayed already, but let me have a quick word of prayer and just ask for God to bless this short session. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to meet together as men that are called of you to communicate truth. And Lord, we certainly do not take that for granted, and we don't take that lightly. Lord, we know that we will be held to a greater accountability because we stand in front of people. Lord, we know that every word will be brought into account. Lord, I pray that what we say would be exactly what you would say if you would occupy our body and stand behind our pulpits. Lord, bless this time together. Bless this study that we're going to have. May it be fruitful. May much good come out of it in our respective ministries. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have your notes there. And I try to include notes in the binder that are... Uh, complete so that when you look back to it, uh, you're not trying to figure out what what I meant. And so I I know there's a lot there. It looks as if it'll be a long session. It really won't be. But uh, if you look at your notes there in the book, you'll see there in the introduction, I just talk about the fact that preaching the Word of God is very similar to the way that we uh, the, the way that we would approach uh, eating or the way that we would approach uh, preparing food for other people. And, uh, you know, there are messages that we hear in conferences like these, like that great message last night by Brother Chapel, or there are messages that, that you have in your top five list that you think about and say, man, that was a tremendous message. But people's lives are not changed by tremendous messages here and there. Uh, people's lives are changed when they receive a good diet of the Word of God on a weekly basis. And we've got to view ourselves in the pastoral ministry. You ever have somebody come to your church, an evangelist maybe, or a fellow pastor come in, and they preach a truth that you have just preached for the last 13 weeks. You did a whole series. They come in, they preach it and tell some funny illustration, and the altars are full. You're thinking, what in the world is wrong with me? And nothing's wrong with you. 
uh, people people grow. Uh, you're you're not maybe as uh, as uh, as tantalizing as that new voice. I'll be honest with you. I can't remember what my what what my wife made for dinner last Thursday night, but I know it helped me. I can't name. Uh, the menu that my mother prepared for me growing up as a kid, I can't, I can't name week by week, what, but I'm here today because of my mother, because she fed me. I'm not here because of the four times in my life I've been to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, although I've enjoyed every one of those times. But you know what? If I didn't have those times, I'd still be here. And we need to get back to, let, let's lose the ego. Let's lose the, you know, I want this to be a wow and let's just get back to faithfully plowing the ground and preaching the Word of God and seeing lives changed incrementally in our respective churches. Uh, I asked some questions here. Uh, what was the significance of this advice that Paul gave Timothy? What are the parameters that govern a proper division of Scripture? I mean, how do we divide the Word of Truth? Uh, can a preacher be confident that his message is both accurate and authoritative? I mean, can we know that this is a message from God? Uh, what dangers uh, confronted biblical preaching in the first century? I mean, it's interesting to know that the same kinds of attacks that the devil leveled against, levels against preaching today were leveled against preaching 2,000 years ago. I mean, the devil hates biblical preaching. Uh, in what ways do we face those same dangers today? Uh, if you have your notes there, number one, let's talk about the priority in preaching. What is the priority in preaching? Uh, I was in... Uh, I, I've read many different homiletics books and, and uh, many books on hermeneutics, as, as you have, I'm sure. And you, you read some crazy things. You just read some nutty things. I think sometimes people feel that good communication has to do with you know, diaphragmatic breathing. I, I don't know if you ever did that in homiletics class. You lay down, you have the book on your belly, you know, ho, ho, he, he, you know, do that whole thing so you don't lose your voice. I guess there's value in that, but you know, we probably need to spend a little bit less time on ho, ho, he, he, and a little bit more time on, here's what the Word of God says. And uh, as I study the preachers of yesteryear, I mean, men like Jonathan Edwards, whom, uh, uh, whom God used in such a profound way in the Second Great Awakening, uh, I pastored a church in Enfield, Connecticut, uh, not, not far from the spot where Jonathan Edwards preached that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I had a high school friend of mine uh, way back in Christian school that memorized that speech and gave it as a fine arts competition, and won. And I'll tell you what, he was flamboyant, and I mean, he just had all the right gesticulation, and he got his voice loud at just the right time, and the devil's holding uh, you like a spider over the flames of hell. And Man, I'll tell you what, I was scared. But you know, as you study that message historically, you realize Jonathan Edwards read the message by candlelight in a monotoned high-pitched voice. He wouldn't be accepted in the modern pulpit. But there was a hunger and an attention to the Word of God that we don't have in our pulpits today. And the Word of God is what changes lives. And so what is the priority of preaching? Notice, first of all, a regard for Scripture. Look back at verse uh, 14 of our text, a regard for Scripture. The Bible says, of these things. What things? The things that Paul had just instructed Timothy about? The Word of God. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them, that's heavy, before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, 
but to the subverting of the hearers, starting to show thyself a, a work, a, a, approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so what should the priority be in, in preaching? It should be a regard for Scripture. It amazes me how many men, even within our circles, don't have a healthy regard for the word of God. It's amazing to me. We ought to be conversant in the doctrines of the Bible. We ought to love the Word of God. We ought to be, and, and by the way, reading the Word of God, that's axiomatic. We ought to be studying it. We ought to be memorizing it. We ought to be meditating upon it. I mean, we ought to love the Bible. Uh, when we talk to our preacher friends, one of my favorite questions, and, and I have a number of friends in this room, one of my favorite questions is, what are you preaching? What are you studying right now? What are you reading? Let's talk about it. Brother, brother Mike Lester and I just sat down a moment ago. And, and, you know, howdy, how you doing? You know, you're as ugly as ever. Once we get past that, hey, what are you teaching on? What, what, what are you studying? What's God doing? Because the word of God needs to be uplifted and emphasized in our ministries. And I'm afraid that if the preacher doesn't have a, reg- a regard for the word of God, then it's not going to be reflected in his preaching. It's not going to be reflected in the, the, in the lives of his church members. And I guess the better question might be, because our church members tend to be a mirror of us, uh, are your church members in love with the Bible? Or are they in love with personality preaching? Or are they in love with a style? Or are they in love with a flavor? If your people are in love with the Word of God, that's generally a reflection that you're in love with the Word of God and you emphasize it in your pulpit ministry. There's so many verses that we could uh, point to here. In the, in the first century Christianity, there was, there was so much vying for the attention of preachers. There was a, 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 a Gnosticism, this, this, idea, this, this New Age mysticism that there's secret knowledge that some people can have and other people cannot have. And, and there was this syncretistic approach that took Judaism and Christianity and Gnosticism and all these various isms and put them together in some kind of an amalgam of a new philosophy. And that's where we are today. And the average pulpit today is just some two-bit philosophy of some guy. And people don't need two-bit philosophy. They need the Word of God. And so that whole idea of a syncretistic approach and, and trying to bar- borrow this philosopher's ideas and, and just good old common sense and, and bless God. And let's just get that out of the way right now. You know what bless God means, right? Bless God means the preacher just said something or is about to say something very stupid, all right? <laughs> yeah, ch- check that out, you know. And I'll tell you, the problem with these, bless God, that means I have no verse to support this, so I'm going to throw in bless God. That's not always true, but most of the time it is. And so what's the priority in preaching? A regard for Scripture. Uh, what's the second a priority in preaching? I would say this, a reminder of struggle. A reminder of struggle. Look back at verse 14. The Bible says, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. The Apostle Paul was pointing out to Timothy that there is going to be a struggle in the ministry with people that are, 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 are counterbalancing what right ministry is all about. And Timothy, you're going to have to get some backbone. You're going to have some, have some guts and confront these people that are preaching messages that are baseless. They're preaching messages that are babbling messages. They make noise. They might sound good. They might hypnotize. They might attract attention, but they're absolutely of no value. And it's going to be a struggle here to hold high the word of God and hold high the banner of biblical preaching. And who would have ever thought in fundamentalism, 
And fundamentalism, you know, uh, one, one of our tenets is we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe it's been preserved for us in the English language and the King James Version. We have all these bold statements that we make, but I wonder in all of what we say about the Bible if we're actually preaching the Bible. You know, and maybe we need to take a, a, a step back and say, you know, we, we, we are venerating the Bible and we say all of these lofty things about the Bible, but let, why don't we dust our Bible off and actually use it? And this whole idea of getting up and reading a verse as some kind of a launch pad to the 29 illustrations we're going to use in our message, there's something wrong with that. Uh, I, I think that illustrations are the windows that let the light shine in, and I love to give illustrations. But if my message is full of illustrations and it's not foundations on the Word of God, there's something wrong. And uh, we have to understand that there is a struggle even in fundamental circles, and the struggle is, are we going to preach the Bible? That ought to be settled. We're going to preach the Bible. That's what our pulpits are going to be about. By the way, I'll say this. Preacher, it is your job. You realize that every person in your church that stands behind a pulpit, a lectern, stands in a Sunday school class, you realize that you answer to God for their teaching. And so we need to make sure that our adult Sunday school classes are teaching the Bible. We need to make sure that our children's classes are teaching the Bible. We need to make sure that our Christian day schools are teaching the Bible. We make sure that the Bible is central in every, uh, in every session in our local church and that's going to be a struggle. And preacher, you're going to have to take the, the bull by the horns there and, and decide that you're going to ardently defend the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and your truth. Why? Because the hearer is at stake. Look at verse 14. The Bible says that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. What happens when people just get up and give their own homespun philosophy? What happens when people just get up and, and, te- and tell their own little idea or, bless God, here's what I think about this? And what happens when uh, the uh, average adult Sunday school class becomes a warmed-over session of what people listened on conservative talk radio the week before? Okay, what happens when the Bible says hearers are subverted? The Bible says, first of all, they're not profited, and they are actually subverted. That means they're turned upside down. And we wonder why our people uh, are not grounded in the Word of God. We're not grounding them. We're not giving them the Word of God. We're, we're, not, we're not administrating a ministry whereby these people are learning and growing in the Word of God. We have increasingly a biblically illiterate fundamentalism. That's why people are so enamored by and so struck by the seeker-sensitive movement. That's why all the bells and whistles and, 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 the, and the, 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 the frosted whipped cream that they're offering is so attractive because there's no biblical foundation in the first place, so all of that looks so appealing. After all, I can say what I'm already saying and get bigger crowds. And listen, maybe you ought to rethink what you're saying. Maybe we can come back to a, a biblical-based approach and make sure we're preaching and teaching the Word of God. And so there's a third priority in preaching, not only the uh, a regard for Scripture and then a reminder of struggle. But number three, uh, I see the reproving of subverters. This is not just a matter of you doing what's right. This is a matter of you standing up against those that are doing what's wrong. Uh, when a message is not firmly foundationed upon the Word of God, the inevitable debating, the war of words, and isn't it amazing if you follow, keep your uh, finger on the pulse of fundamentalism, isn't it amazing how people war about words? I was reading a quote this morning by Adam Clark and just about how this is, there's nothing new under the sun and how people will spend their whole ministry warring about semantics. I tell people in our church, and this might offend somebody, but uh, that's okay. 
Um, you know, this whole issue on dress standards, and we have high dress standards. I think every ministry ought to. But we become, we, we become we're in love with words. We're in love with labels. Um, I, we teach, our, we teach our, uh, our young ladies, make sure that's knee length and loose. That's what we teach our young ladies. You know what? Because just as soon as you say, call it a label. When you call it a label, now, as long as it's whatever that label is, call it culotte, call whatever you want to call it, as long as it's that, it didn't make a difference if it does meet a modesty standard. It's a cool. It's, so what, what happens is we have, these, we have these young ladies that grow up, realize, and in our ministry, my wife doesn't wear slacks. My, my, my daughter doesn't wear slacks. And so I'm not, this is not a, a, uh, uh, an endorsement of a woman wearing pants. But watch me now. Uh, I think that we've been, we've been so in love with the label of skirt versus pants that we've raised a whole generation of young, of young ladies that wear skirts, but they're all modest. You even go. You could even go to Bible college, and the girls are wearing these slinky Morticia Adams skirts, you know. But it's a skirt, so I'm okay. Why? Because we're in love with words. We're in love with words instead of in love with biblical teaching. And you know, the funny thing is, when you study the Bible on dress, or you study the Bible on any other issue, it's amazing. God is loath to give us a label. He gives us verses and descriptions. You study it in 1 Timothy chapter 2 or 1 Peter chapter 3. He tries to give us a description of an issue. It's not so easy. We, 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 we're, we, we lazily think and think that a label covers an issue, and it doesn't. It becomes simply a war of words. And then we're more fundamental than you because my label is higher than your label. Uh, this, this, uh, and maybe I shouldn't even dive in here, but this, this whole King James debate that's going on, you know, by the way, I thought we settled that years ago. You know, just because somebody makes an issue again, does that really, I mean, I thought we settled that years ago. And you have one side saying, well, you know, technically the King James is not inspired. You know, it's, we're preserved. You know, we're not saying that God breathed out the English words, are we? And the other side saying, well, you can't say that I don't have an inspired, preserved word of God. Listen, when they explain their arguments, they're both saying the same thing. It's a war of words, and guess what happens? All the church members are subverted. If church members getting letters from people are posturing for position and fundamentalism, you know what? Don't send letters to my church members. Don't send them. They don't need to be subverted by our little petty war of words. Let's get back to just teaching and preaching the Bible. All right, number, number two. Not only is there a priority in pre- preaching, but I see uh, number two, and this is really the crux of the, the rightly divided the word, there is preparation in preaching. Preparation in preaching. And I hope that you prepare. I know that you do for your messages and spend much time not only in study but also in prayer. But look at verse 15. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's where we get the session title there, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so how do we effectively prepare our preaching? Well, I would say, first of all, we must carefully study. A preacher is one who carefully studies the word of God. Um, And I understand some messages are more basic than other messages, but I'll be honest with you. I hear so many messages that I think, did any study go into that message at all? I mean, was there any, was there any, I mean, we, we, in a message, there ought to be something in that message, and I'm not saying that we get up to try to show off that we know something that people don't know, that's not real teaching and preaching anyway, 
But is there anything in that message that would tell your people that you have spent time researching and examining? I'm not a big person that gets up and says, the Greek word for this is, but I know what it is. I've studied it. Now, I'm not going to get up and say to my people, well, you know, the word study here is the word spudazzo. And what that literally means here is, is an urgency and a speed. With, You know, I could do that. But what I'll do is I say, you know, the word here, study, it means, you know, an urgency. I don't have to show off that I know a word that they don't know, but I need to be giving them what it means. There, there ought to be study in my message. And so he's one that carefully studies. The word study connotes both urgency and effort. To be certain, the preacher must be a workman. What a, what a concept. When it comes to his labor in the word. Maybe that's why uh, they that labor in the word and doctrine are worthy of double honor, that we're laboring in the word. Passages of scripture are not always readily understandable. Remember, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that uh, some, some scriptures hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do the other scriptures there in 2 Peter chapter 3. And so uh, truth is not always readily recognizable. It's not, it's not always on that silver platter. Sometimes we've got to mine its value and, and study and spend some time and effort. And, and uh, you know as well as I do, there are times that you'll spend uh, an hour or two just making sure that one statement that you're going to make, one key transitional thought that you're going to give, you want to make sure it's biblically accurate. I hope that you're doing that. I hope that you can get up and say, with confidence, here's what the Bible teaches, because you've studied it out and you've been careful to do your job as a preacher. Uh, the preacher's attitude and motives must be right in order for God's Holy Spirit to bless him with divine illumination. Uh, I quoted there 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 17. The elders that rule well ought to be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. There in John chapter 7, and verse 17, the Bible talks about Jesus at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And Jesus uh, was, uh, uh, the, 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 the critics of Jesus were amazed because Jesus came and argued with them and they didn't even know who he was. And they said, how is it that you, you're not a man of letters? In other words, you don't have a college degree. How do you know these things? And Jesus said, if any man will do his will, that's the Father, he shall know of the doctrine, whether I, it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And Jesus gave us a very intense hermeneutic principle there, and that is that God is not going to illuminate his truth to people that don't have a predisposition to obey it. And one of the, one of the, one of the tremendous uh, truths about hermeneutics is, do I, am, am I willing, as I study the Bible for the message that I'm preaching to my people, am I willing to be submissive to God's Holy Spirit and allow my life to be changed in my study? Because if I'm not willing to be changed by the Word of God, then God is not honor-bound to illuminate His Word to me. And so uh, I must have this, this heart of openness myself, study, let God teach me, and then I can teach others. And so in pre- preparing to preach, number one, the preacher is one who carefully studies. Number two, not only that, the preacher is one who considers the seriousness of what he's doing. Would you look please at verse 15 again? Study to show thyself approved unto God. Get this, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Actually, the part I want you to see, study to show thyself approved unto God. Think of, Brother Gesh does a great job with this uh, in his book, Homiletics from the Heart. But uh, who is the preacher's primary audience? God. God. So often we talk about being in tune with our audience. And, and I would agree with that. But let's be in tune with our primary audience. 
our primary audience in preaching is we're preaching for God. We're not preaching for audience accolade. We're not preaching for audience approval. We're not preaching, by the way, any preacher that's been in the ministry any length of time, you can preach a message and bring everyone forward. There are ways to do that. You know, that, 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 that's not hard to do. You can preach and get people to cry. You work at it. You can get preaching. If you preach long enough, they'll cry. Uh, but, uh, you, 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 I mean, you can preach. Uh, to get a, a response, that's, that's really, that, that's, that, that's no really a, a big thing. But to have the approval of God, now that's a big thing. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, lest uh, when I preach to others, I myself should be, and here's the word, a castaway, a dakamash, that I should be disapproved. That a God would not approve of my ministry. I wonder, would God approve of my study? Or did I just kind of wing it? Would God approve of my, the careful handling of his word to his people? Delivering this precious jewel to God's precious saved ones. Would God approve of that? We have to understand that we will be, the Bible says, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. And as preachers, we're we're constantly, in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, we're constantly giving our word. We better make sure that our word is, is submissive to the word of God, that we're giving them a thus saith the Lord. We have to consider the seriousness of what we're doing. Not he that commendeth himself is approved, but he that God commendeth is approved. And uh, well, so someone asked me to sign their Bible. Big deal. Whoever started that, by the way, is crazy. But anyway, okay, so they signed a Bible. Well, great. Someone asked me to sign their Bible. Big deal. You know, did God approve of that message? Does God approve of my handling of the scripture? We must consider the seriousness of, boy, this is not playland. This is, we're not, we're not a two-bit comedy act, and I love humor, and when it's appropriate in the pulpit, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But uh, this is not a show. This is not a contest. This is the word of God. There is nothing more serious than that. And so we must consider the seriousness. And then thirdly, not only does the preacher carefully study, and not only does the preacher care, uh, consider the seriousness, but thirdly, uh, the preacher cuts straight. The preacher cuts straight. Notice uh, again verse 15, where the Bible says, we are to rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, the word rightly divide means uh, to make a straight cut. And it was a word that was used in, in everyday common language back in those days. It re- referred to uh, the way a brick mason would cut to make sure those bricks fit together. Uh, Paul was a tent maker. So I think that's probably what he had in mind. What, what, how would they make tents? Well, they didn't have the, 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 the new materials that we have today. They would take the hides of animals. You notice animals don't come in rectangles. Have you noticed that? And so they'd take the hide of a rectangle and cut that hide off the corners so that you have straight cuts so that 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 could be fit together with other hides to make a big tent. And so there's a cut, it's straight cut. And so we have to understand, as we study the Word of God, uh, I made this classic mistake as a young preacher. I decided, you know, I'm 25 years of age, I'm going to preach through the book of Revelation. People were excited about it. 
I started getting into trumpets and vials and horses and blood and Armageddon. Man, I'm into it. And then I realized I'd never, I had never studied the book of Revelation in my life. Never studied it. And I thought, I'll just study it a chapter at a time. And I realized until you get the whole picture, you better not give a small picture. I realized that in order to cut straight, you have to know things like the theme of a book. You have to know where you're going. You better have a good handle on it. You better be able to view that verse harmonistically with other verses that deal with it. You better have a good understanding of the book of Daniel. I mean, you can't just go chapter by chapter and learn that chapter and not know the next chapter and think that you're going to rightly divide the word of truth. And so uh, and I think sometimes we put people in the ministry far too early. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that there ought to be an age qualification, but you know in the Old Testament that Levite didn't start his ministry until he was 30. And I'm not saying that you start, start your preaching ministry before that you're wrong. I'm saying you better be ready. You better know the Bible. You better study the Bible. You better be able to rightly divide the word of truth. You better understand that uh, you know, you're not going to put the church in the Old Testament and undergird a reformed theology. You're going to understand dispensational truth. and You're going you're gonna to understand certain time periods in the Bible and how it fits in. You're going to be able to take the scripture and put it within its harmonistic setting. You're going to be able to uh, understand how a verse fits within its passage. You're going to understand how that passage fits within the theme of the book. You're going to understand what the theme of the book is. You're going to understand why God included that book in the Bible. You're going to know something about geography and customs. You're going to know something about the authorship. You're going to know something about the audience and, the, and how that audience would have received that message. I mean, there's a lot to it. If we don't spend the time on that stuff. We're not going to have any hope of giving people what the Word of God says. And so we must cut straight um, in, in preparing to preach properly. Um, well, I have so much more to say on that. Uh, the Bible says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of, is of, is of any private interpretation. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13 that the Holy Ghost uh, uses, compares, we compare spiritual things with spiritual. And so if you don't have a good working knowledge of the Bible in whole, there's nothing that the Holy Spirit can use as a tool in your life uh, to compare spiritual things with spiritual. A text out of context is always a pretext. And the word, I've seen people take the word of God and make it say things that it doesn't say. Well, the tool you were telling me, you just preached the book of Haggai? Is a seed yet in the barn? You just preach on that? I had a guy come to our church years ago. Good guy, zealous guy, young missionary guy. I gave him Wednesday night. He preached away. Great biblical truth. The only problem is his truth had nothing to do with the passage. It was a great biblical truth. He talked about soul winning and we need to get out there. And why is it that the 95% of the churches are reaching 5% of the world? And you know, that was great. It was a great message. But he said, is the seed yet in the barn? And he painted this whole illustration about the seed is the word of God. and We've got all this seed in the barn. All the seeds over here in the barn and someone needs to get to the barn and get the seed out and get it where it belongs. And The seed's no good in the barn. We've got to get out in the fields. It's a great truth. Only one problem with that. That's not what the passage teaches. The passage teaches there's no seed in the barn. That's the question of incredulity. There is no seed in the barn. There's no seed in the barn. So he took a passage and made it say the exact opposite of what it meant. And what did that do? That harmed the great truth that he was trying to communicate. We better learn how to cut straight. Uh, I have not seen or ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man, what God has prepared for those that love him. And people quote that verse and talk about heaven. The verse has nothing to do with heaven. Nothing to do with heaven. There are plenty of verses that have to do with heaven. Find those verses and preach them. But when we preach a verse 
that means opposite of what we say it means, even though we're trying to undergo the spiritual truth, we are doing damage to the hearer. All right, quickly, let me give you a third point. We'll be done. There's a problem in preaching. And what is that problem? Well, look, first of all, at verse 16. I believe a problem in preaching is what I call profane preaching. Profane preaching. Look at verse 16. But shun. That's a strong word. Shun profane. The word profane, uh, the, the word literally referred to crossing a threshold. The Jew was so concerned about Gentile defilement. And I don't want a Gentile to come into my home. I don't want a Gentile to come into my holy space, cross my threshold. So to, to, to profane was to cross the line. I, I'm afraid that some, sometimes in, in our ministries we, we cross the line when it comes to preaching. And we preach in an empty and profane way. Uh, messages devoid of biblical foundation and structure are, quite frankly, profane, regardless of how popular they are. I remember a guy coming to my Bible college chapel years ago, and he preached a message about how God's word was like ragu sp- spaghetti sauce. That was the whole message. You want some of God's love? It's in there. You want some? And he told five stories, and uh, that was it. And it was entertaining, and, and it was rah-rah. And I went to the dining hall afterwards, and some guys were at the table, and they were just frothing at the mouth. Ah, that was great preaching. And I said, what did he preach about? Um, man, I can't remember. But it was good. You can't remember, but it was good. Listen, we better, we better be giving people something that has some substance. Uh, the, the term vain babbling simply denotes empty sounding, like the unintelligible babbling of a mountain brook. Many a preacher's message is little more than noisy chatter. Uh, what a thought. Uh, As I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some, that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now, the end of the commandment is charity. Out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience, out of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. I'm afraid sometimes our preaching, we've turned aside from the purpose of preaching, from the substance of preaching, and we're just making a lot of noise. And that's profane preaching. Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding See, it's possible even for good preachers like Timothy, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. But refuse uh, old wives' fables. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness, the Bible says. And so it's very tempting for us to just take an outline, or very tempting to run with a a tear-jerking story, very tempting for us to base a, a message on a life's experience. But that's a very damaging thing as well, profane preaching. Uh, Popular preachers, look at verse 17. And their word will eat as doth a canker. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus? That's interesting. Paul said, let me name some names here. Here are some preachers that preached with some popularity. People listened to them, but their truth, their, their message was wrong. 
They were saying that the resurrection was past already. They've overthrown the faith of some. Oh, people loved them. They were good orators. They were the preachers of the day. And Paul said they were wrong. And there's a danger sometimes in fundamentalism when we elevate a personality above the word of God. And I, I don't know that, 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 I hope that none of us are doing that, but there's a tendency to do that. And just because Dr. So-and-so said it, just because so-and-so is, is funnier than somebody else or can preach louder or it just has a good way of stringing words together and it sounds good doesn't mean it's biblical. And uh, we, we need to be careful that the personality is never elevated above the Word of God. I'm grateful for personality. I'm grateful for Brother Getch, who's an amazing communicator of God's Word, but I'm more grateful for God's Word. I'm, I, that message last night was as dynamic as it could be for the chapel, but I'm so grateful it was a Bible message. And let's not, never elevate a preacher uh, above or a personality above the Word of God. Um, I, I like what Paul said. He said, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. And Peter, Paul was a nobody. Peter was the big famous uh, pillar at Jerusalem because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which are of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, and so much that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as the, do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? In other words, Peter, what are you thinking? I didn't allow personality to guide me. I allowed the word of God to guide me and said, Peter, I love you. Peter, you're popular. Peter, great message at Pentecost. Peter, sign my Bible. Peter, you're wrong. It's a wonderful truth. Let's never uh, uh, elevate popularity above the word of God. So there's a problem. Profane preaching, popular preachers, and then lastly, uh, poisoned people. And this is the real um, sad part about non-Bible-centered preaching is that people's lives are ruined. You know, I could, I could have you move into my house and I could feed you Snickers bars and Doritos and whipped cream and you'd love it. Man, we love living here. But you know, you wouldn't love it after a month. And you wouldn't love it after a year. When your life is falling apart and you're one medical problem after another medical problem, you'd wish somebody fed you some food. You see, and the ultimate result here is that people's lives are wrecked and ruined when we don't have Bible-centered messages. The Bible says their word will eat as doth a canker. The word canker means gangrene. You look it up, that's the, that's that. gangrene is a transliteration of the Greek word here for, for, for canker. It's gangrene. It's like it eats away at the body. You know what happens when a person gets gangrene? There's no hope. You've got to cut it off. Now, sometimes there are people in our churches that are so affected negatively by non-Bible-based messages that their whole lives get wrecked and ruined. You basically have to cut them out of the body. That's a sad thing. And we can lament that and say, well, they have a negative spirit or they have do- they've gotten off into a doctrinal uh, left field, but why? 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 Well, they're into MacArthur now or they're reading this book or that. You know, okay, why? Why? Maybe we've not given them the truth. Maybe the reason they went looking for truth in all the wrong places is because they never got it from us. We poison our own people. The Bible says, who concerned the truth have erred. It's saying that the resurrection is past already. Verse 18, they've overthrown and overthrow the faith of some. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, immediately following the, the verse about uh, Scripture uh, being of no private interpretation, 
and holy men of old, uh, moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the truth is evil spoken of. And sometimes all people need is, well, my pastor believes it. That's not good enough. West Coast Baptist College teaches it. That's not good enough. Dr. Paul Chapel said, well, that's wonderful. But let's get back to thus saith the Lord. What does the Bible say? Here's what the Bible has for you today. You've been listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today we heard from Pastor Kurt Skelly on how to rightly divide the word of truth. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the Word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this Ministry 127 podcast.